House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. It's Tuesday, February 18th, 2020, and this is Capital Ideas. If you just found us, it's the podcast in which members of the Majority Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down in front of a microphone at the Capitol and talk about ideas. Those ideas might deal with housing, could be the environment, it might be education or health care or helping kids and families and businesses thrive. In other words, they're good ideas. Today, we've got a few minutes with Representative Lisa Callan. Lisa lives in Issaquah in Washington's 5th Legislative District. If you've been taking notes, you'll know she made her first Capital Ideas appearance last April. The second one starts right now. Representative Lisa Callan, thanks for coming back to Capital Ideas again this year. We talked a little bit less than a year ago. You'd been having a pretty good session. You'd done more successful bill introductions than most people in your class. And that's what we talked about. So much of your time and and political energy this session has been spent trying to improve the lot of youth and families. The theme of this podcast is going to be kids. Why that? Especially in my district, this last interim, we've had a very visible and very felt impact of youth that are experiencing significant behavioral health crises. We've had um, multiple deaths by suicide. We've had deaths by substance use, overdoses. And that descends our communities reeling, really wanting to understand and really wanting to move forward. So when people are ready to talk about it, I think school districts have been trying to talk about it and work with our youth and and trying to, to bring that forward. But one of my goals is really to try to make sure that the youth have their own voice in this process and we can listen deeply to what they need, what they want, and so I did a lot of work in the interim around that and looking about how we can really bring some of that support to our youth uh, this legislative session, and so that's how it showed up in the the bills that I brought forward. It seems like one of the things that, that youth want is for somebody to basically just say, how are you doing, what's going on in your life, and what kind of problems can I help you with? Exactly, yeah. I think it's it's imperative that we destigmatize, you know, when your feelings and your emotions, and we make sure that we have somebody that is there and enable and ready to have those conversations when the youth are ready to have those conversations themselves. Lisa, one of the things that, that I see in a couple of your bills is improvements to the Working Connections program. And since I don't know what Working Connections is, most people probably don't either, what is it and how are you improving it? Sure. Thanks for asking. Working Connections Child Care is what the program is, and it really is where the state can support and reach out, not only the state, but actually pulling down federal dollars from the child care block grant funds that is in the federal budget and provides funding to each state. They pull down dollars that are being spent to support families to find child care and provide child care that is uh, high-quality, early learning-focused supports for our youngest Washingtonians. And it's usually based off of a salary scale and has requirements to be eligible and allow the funding to come in. And then child care providers can provide these uh, positions or open slots for this care that is supported by the state. 
and at least one of your bills makes it somewhat less onerous to qualify for this child care. Is that correct? Right. When you qualify for a Working Connections child care program, you generally are qualifying based off of a 12-month window, and there's work requirements that are tied to it. Those families um, in Washington that are experiencing homelessness often are struggling to maintain not only housing and food, but also trying to maintain a work because of where they're coming from or some life health crisis or something that's come up. So today we have a four-month grace period on that working requirement to qualify, and we're finding that there's just not enough child care slots out there for families to be able to find child care within four months and that to help them actually stabilize, find housing, and find work. So my bill extends that grace period for 12 months because we know that within that 12 months, it's generally taking that long to find good, stable child care and then start to be able to have folks, um, while their kids are being very well taken care of, have the capacity then to actually start working on their other, stabilizing their other needs like housing and work. I'm excited to be able to provide this. We know we're, we're losing 30 to 40 families a month off of the Working Connections roster because of this work requirement, even though they're doing everything they possibly can to try to find housing and find that work. We just need to align that uh, support for them with what our current housing and child care market is. And just to talk about the success of Working Connections, it's likely that at the other end, there are people leaving that program because it has helped them, it gave them a leg up, and they are now ready to thrive without that particular state assistance. The more stable you become, right, the, the better off uh, you're able to provide and, and direct where you want to be. And in the meantime, while you're working on all of that with Working Child Care Connections, we're making sure that our kids have less trauma and have been stabilized and had that opportunity to continue down that development path to be ready for kindergarten. So it's really a win-win. And that could help to break a cycle. Certainly, right? We're wanting to break that cycle of generational poverty, generational trauma, and where we're going with that. And the program is also set up so that if you are doing a minimum wage job, then you can qualify at one level. And as you move up the, the salary ladder, you're hopefully working towards not jumping off of this extreme copay cost that also will throw you back into the same cycle that you just got out of. So trying to improve those system requirements is, is a huge element to making sure that it's really aligned with what the state can provide and what the opportunities are, again, in the market. And this is a bill that just passed out of the House a few days ago, correct? It did, right. Uh, I was excited to see that it had as much great support across the aisle. I'm going to just ping pong around here now, and I want to talk about foster youth. Just roughly speaking, there's around 10,000 youth of various ages in the Washington foster care program at any given time. That's a pretty big cohort. One of the bills that you have is kind of unusual. It's almost counterintuitive, which is to connect foster parents with biological parents Mm -hmm. uh, while a youngster is in foster care. Well, I'm excited about this program. It really is. It's a program that will be started as a pilot, and we've seen some great successes by families that are fostering and families that um, have their children in out-of-home placement that have been working with parent allies is really how I describe it in the bill. 
that have gone through lived experiences and help them create this relationship with each other. And when you do that and you can have those conversations about the child and you really can stay child focused, then everybody is wrapping around the child and working together to do what's best for the child. So when you have positive relationships between the biological family and the foster caregiving family, the child isn't torn between which home they're in and loyalties and all of that, right? Um, you get to have conversations around what's the favorite food for this child, what stuffed animal, what's their favorite story, you know, all of those things that really help kids thrive. So the goal is to reduce trauma, again, not only for the child, which is primary, but for everybody that's involved in the system and touching that and having these experiences. And ultimately, I think there's a much higher level of comfort and acceptance towards permanency of where this child's going to land. And then that relationship can be made whole through the extended network of support for the child. So we've seen that it happen in the foster care system today. We have people asking to do this uh, as allies that have lived through this experience. And so we feel like it's a really great step to promote a change in culture for the foster care system. And the goal is to have as few foster kids as possible. Exactly. Exactly. We want them in loving, supported relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I promised I was not going to follow any particular direction, so now I want to zing over to homeless kids. One of the problems, I'm sure, of being a homeless child, among myriad others, is the lack of the ability to have identification too young to drive, most likely. The state identification card is, it's a real process to get one, and it costs money. And you've got a bill that's going to ease this process. Yeah, I actually, this bill was brought forward to youth, again, with lived experience from the Mockingbird Society. They are youth that have experienced foster care, that have experienced homelessness, and have these, again, lived experiences. In the foster care system, there is a pathway to help youth obtain identification cards. Often these youth, even if they are of driving age, don't have access to a car and don't have a driver's license, but they do need identification to support getting work, to support getting housing in some cases. When you're having a conversation and you're on the street and you're walking around, if somebody is looking to understand who you are, having that identification card is valuable. It stands for who you are, right? For youth that are also incarcerated and leaving the system, there's a pathway for them to have identification cards, but we don't have a pathway that is more accessible for our youth that are experiencing homelessness or our unaccompanied minors. It's very difficult for them to get to and get access to birth certificates. They don't have a permanent address. So um, in working with, during the interim, working with the Department of Licensing, they were extremely supportive in trying to figure out what kind of identification methods would be more common to youth that are experiencing homelessness and what kind of pathways would be what the Department of Licensing needs to provide them with the official state identification card without compromising, of course, the security and safety of what that identification card means. So I'm very excited because I think DOL is, is really working and championing and will be working with the Department of Children, Youth and Families with the State Superintendent of Public Instructions Office, as well as the Department of Homeless Youth Prevention and Protection to try to figure out what the pathway will be, and then we'll be able to have a system in place that will be much more friendly and will also be a lower cost. They'll be on parity cost with the foster care process and the juvenile justice process. 
How do we find these kids in the first place? Um, you know, we don't know where all of them are. We know that there is um, around 13,000 unaccompanied minors, and that's just counted. We know that we're missing a bunch. A lot of youth that are experiencing homelessness are touching our shelters, are touching hope centers, they're touching services uh, that are out there and being provided either through Department of Children, Youth, and Families or through our Office of Homeless Youth protection and prevention. That's how we want to actually touch them in terms of getting identification. We want to be able to have those agencies and providers have a pathway that will help them uh, more quickly and within a cost that can be afforded to get the identification cards. Two more things I want to talk about. One of your bills that just passed Mm -hmm. has to do with suicide prevention efforts involving students. Right. So in a lot of my conversations over the interim this last summer and talking with youth directly, one of the, they had a direct ask, and their, their direct ask was, can we have quicker, easier access to crisis line numbers and information? If we have to go to our student handbook, if we have to go look it up, or even searching for it on our phones to find what is the right line to call, it's time, it's, it's hard to get through the crisis when you're trying to manage through a crisis and actually have thought around what to call. So why can't we just have it on our student ID? cards and why not right I mean that seems like the simplest easiest access to do so in working with representative Paulette who actually had some action on this last session for higher ed we put together a bill to make sure that any k-12 school or higher ed institution that already provides student identification cards and staff identification cards includes the national crisis line number on it and then also allows for local school districts or local campuses to also include any other numbers that they feel like might be helpful One of the school districts that I represent, the Issaquah School District, already does this, and they also include not only the crisis line number, but also their local tip line. So, you know, see something, say something type number. So all you have to do is flip over your student ID card, which you carry with you when you're on campus and you've got access. So this gives quick, ready access to hundreds of thousands of students and staff across the state so that if and when they need to reach out to anybody, it's just that easy to get that number. It's it's too bad to say that this is a good idea, but it is a good idea. I love that we can just make it so easy and simple. Lisa, is there anything we haven't talked about? I know that today's session begins very shortly, and I know you need to get prepared for that. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk further about you know the work of what we need to do to support all of our youth, including our infants and toddlers. I have a few more bills that I'm hoping to get to the floor that still work on a lot of those issues, and I'm anxious to get that done. But thanks for that, and, and you know as always, anybody listening to this, please reach out to my office if you've got thoughts and ideas. I'd love to hear from you and talk to you because, as you can tell, voice matters, and we want to make sure every voice is represented in the policy that we make here in the state. So thanks. Thank you, Lisa. I'm glad you're here. Okay, was that good? I think so. And if you agree, you really ought to subscribe to Capital Ideas. You can do that at housedemocrats.wa.gov or pretty much anywhere else that you find top quality podcasting. This is your state government, and what happens here matters. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you, for your family, for your business, for your community, and for everyone. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening.